So for the word. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom. A word from 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. This is the word of the Lord. So how many of you are grateful that the Lord sent Bethany to come and to serve our children? Is that not truly? Very, very grateful. And uh, I think I got a few things. Bethany, before you leave, I'm still talking. Um, there's a few other things I think. Did she, did she just leave? <laughs> Bethany, Bethany, I, I thank you. Because, no, I'm, I'm dead serious here. Um, as you know, in our prayer chapel sometimes on Monday, we do that kind of quiet yourself and quiet your bodies and quiet your mind. So you gave us some phenomenal stuff that we need to probably use over here. So thank you for teaching us this morning. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I thought that was great. I'm over there going, breathe, breathe. Anybody else? Just kind of, it's been busy? It's been busy. Let's, um, let's submit ourselves to the words that Bethany read from Luke's gospel and from First Peter this morning. I come to bring you good news, and I don't believe it's news that you have not heard. So it's not the kind of good news where you say, I had no idea, I'm completely shocked, and I was absolutely unaware of that. No, it's not that kind of news. It's the kind of good news that we hear over and over and over again, and when we hear it, when we are receptive to it, it just... It quiets our bodies and it quiets our, our minds and it uh, refreshes our souls. Um, how many of you have seen the, the movie Elf? Raise your hand if you've seen it, right? Most of us have seen it, right? For our sake, for our kids' sake, for our grandkids' sake, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's kind of become our Thanksgiving tradition-ish thing to do is to kind of watch that movie even though we've seen it a million times and even though we know different ideas about Santa Claus than what a lot of people think. But we, we still absolutely love it. But one of my favorite lines of that movie and the one that I hear just quoted all the time is, you remember what it is? I know him. I know, remember that line? I know him. I know him. Elf is so excited that Santa is coming because he knows him. And so he says that over and over and over again. I know him. I know him. I know him. Well, when it comes to Jesus, it's not just saying that I know him, although that is an incredible gift, is it not? To know him. But before we can ever say I know him, we first have to say, like, I need him. I need him. I need him. 
And so that's why I want to begin this morning as we're preparing for Luke 9 and 1 Peter 4 to describe the why of Jesus. The why of Jesus. And again, I, I really doubt that I'm going to tell you anything you don't already know, so I'm really here to remind you that we need Jesus. Like we need him because without him we are completely lost. And I don't know if you have felt that I don't know if you've experienced that. I don't know if when you came to Jesus Christ, you were nine years old and, and you'd already been going to church for a number of years because your mom and dad were always taking you to church and you always kept hearing about Jesus and following Jesus. And so I, I don't know if like that is your upbringing because I, I've not really met a lot of nine-year-olds that existentially and at the very core of their being just have this, um, I don't know if I can handle another day without Jesus. But they don't have to be nine I was 12, and I grew up in a Christian family, and I wasn't just going through the motions, and my experience was real. But I think if you were to stop me at that moment when I was ready to give my life publicly before others to confess my allegiance to Jesus Christ, I don't think I can say to you that I was desperate, that I was willing to do anything to have him. I need him. I need him. I need him. But we need him. Like we really, 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 really need him. Because the Bible actually teaches, and many of us, if we're, if we're aware, we, we, we know that the world is not just broken, but we are broken. And God is real. And that distance that exists between us and God is not anything that I can take care of by myself. I can't go through some kind of rigorous plan of spiritual or moral moral training. I, I can't just have some kind of behavioral modification or some kind of, a, you know, a life coach that's going to kind of guide me through the steps. And I can through this transformation that I am, I am producing in myself through diligent hard work. And I have been able to, to make peace with God through diligence. No. I am a sinner. I don't just do bad things. Like, I am a sinner. And I live amongst people who are also sinners. And I need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so we're desperate without him. We're lost without him, without knowing who he is and knowing not just that he came, but why he came. Because the beauty of the gospel and the good news of the gospel of Jesus is this, that it wasn't our efforts and it wasn't just this this mass amount of humanity that recognized the brokenness of humanity that cried out to God and said, save us. Actually, the Bible teaches that there really is no one that is righteous and there is no one that is seeking God. And so God demonstrated his great love for us in this That while you and I were just going on about our own business and living our own lives, and if not you, but I think it was you, um, the Bible says it was us, but this this is your parents and your grandparents all the way back to our first parents. So when sin entered into the world, their response was run, hide, cover. And God was the one, I love these words, some of my favorite words in Genesis are early in the story where God says, where are you? 
And we have, before Jesus ever says, I have come to seek and to save the lost, we have his father saying, where are you? So God had a plan of of not self-discovery of humanity, but of, he reveals himself, he makes himself known, and this is the God of the Bible. And the good news of Jesus is that he loved us first. And came for us first. That that God broke into time and put on flesh. Jesus, his son, fully God, fully man. And this is the good news that we are here to celebrate this morning. This is the good news of Jesus. That he has come to fill the gap, to He has come to not teach me how to live in a a better, more fulfilling way. He has not come to help me understand and experience human flourishing apart from him. But he has helped me find life in him and through him. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it begins with a bit of a desperate cry I need you, I need you, I need you. And I didn't even know I need you until you came and you made yourself known. Because until that time, everyone has, everyone has like their own views of God and their own views of salvation and their own views of what it means to be spiritual. We even... (laughs) We even, when left to ourselves, we even make a mess of religion. Because we are sinners. And we need God's kindness towards us. And that is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus stepped into time. And that is why Jesus made himself known. And that is why Jesus gave an invitation to others, come and follow me, come and take hold of the life that I desire, the life that I will create. And, and what's so fascinating to me and yet understandable to me is the fact that there are some that say yes, and then there are some that say politely no thank you, and then there are a number that are kind of angry about it, which I can understand. Have you ever been told that you're a mess? And and it's not like one of those moments where you just want to kind of sit there with someone else and go, yeah, we're a mess. It's like they're saying it, and I don't even know if there's a good way to say it, but you're just offended. You ever been just offended at somebody describing out your mess? I think that's why people just get really mad at Jesus. Thank you for reminding me. They don't mean thank you. And this is why Jesus came. Because I think that helps us understand the statement that he is making. Because if he was just one more philosopher or one more religious teacher or even one more interpreter of the law, then everything else that Jesus said really didn't make a lot of sense. Because Jesus isn't coming, he does not come and say, hey, I'd like to give you a better uh, way to understand and to interpret the law of God. No, he said, I am God. He actually says in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, that's his quoting other people, but I say unto you, and it's like, it's, like, it's like thunder. It's like the voice of God speaking, the authority of God speaking. And maybe that's why as we are in this series, as we talk about the gospel according to Jesus, 
and what he preached and what he taught that we come to this rather difficult and demanding text. And if we don't understand why, or if we don't have inside of us this need that needs to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, then in the end, these words are too difficult to bear, too demanding for us emotionally, relationally, psychologically, financially, Because Jesus said, Bethany wrote, Luke chapter 9, verse 24, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? See, what Jesus is doing there is he is giving another way of explaining why he came. Because in reality, everyone in some degree or another is trying to save themselves. The word save, again, sometimes, especially in the church context, we only think of it in terms of after we're dead that we go to heaven, and that's what salvation is. But that's not what the word really means. The idea of saving yourself could have multiple layers of meaning. Um, um, When we're really, really sick, we want the doctor to save us. When we're in financial straits, we really want someone to come along and to save us. We may not use that kind of language, but it, it goes along with the, the Greek word itself in the, in the Bible goes along with words like rescue or heal or to make whole. And that's what you and I are doing all the time. We're, we're trying to be rescued. We're trying to be whole. We're trying to, to find something bigger than ourselves. And so we're constantly stuffing these, stuffing these things in our heads and in our hearts, our careers, relationships, our marriages, our, our connection to our kids. We're, we're, we're trying to find meaning and purpose in our community. Um, I, I think that one of, the, one of the beautiful, and yet it, could, it, could, it won't really ultimately satisfy, we, we are living in a time where there is an increased awareness that there is a brokenness in the world and we need to make a difference. And we need to help. We need to, we need to save the planet. I'm all for it. I have a different understanding of what saved means, but, but I'm for that too. And isn't that what you're doing? You're trying to to take life and to get the most of it? And so Jesus steps into, into our lives. He stands in front of us. And it says, you need to deal with me. To, to re to reinterpret, I guess, what he's saying here in verses 24 and 25 is, I get that you're trying to save your life. I get that you're trying to use religion to be whole. I get that you're trying to to have those relationships to provide meaning and context and to give you fulfillment and happiness and joy. I, I understand that you're doing all of these things to save your life. But if you don't find me, in the end, you will lose it. In the end, you won't have it. That offends some people. But for those of us that know, I need him, I need him, it makes sense. And that is why Jesus says, what can a person, or what does a person gain if they, if they get it all? If they get it all in this life? And I don't mind you filling in under every category of all, which we all, when we are honest, when our hearts and our bodies are quiet and we will admit it, we're all just wanting more. 
And Jesus says, what if you get all the more? Like, what if you have the perfect marriage? What if you have the perfect job? What if you are perfectly fulfilled? And then at the end of this life, because you've not ever really understood me or dealt with me or responded to me in faith, you lose everything for eternity. What have you gained? Thank you so much, Jesus, for helping me understand what I'm beginning to discover. Anybody else kind of in the over 50 club? You don't have to raise your hands. We can tell. Well, uh, those of us that are in, I'm, I'm one of us. So those of us in the, in the over, some of, I, some of you I can't tell. Congratulations. Other of us I can tell. And it's okay, by the way. I don't understand why it's a bad thing to be old. I like being old. I really do. But I'm in this club and I'm beginning to realize that all the things that I thought I wanted that would really satisfy, I'm beginning to recognize at an an increasingly alarming rate. It just doesn't do it. Like when you bury your mom, I'm not just sitting there going, oh yeah, but in reality, I got a great job. Just doesn't do it. There's got to be more. Right? Jesus steps in and says, I have good news for you. And I love how Drew presented it last week. Because I am good news for you. (laughs) I've not just come here for a temporary rescue. I've not come here to just remodel your home or remodel your life where in a a little while we're just going to end up in the same broken place. No, Jesus offers a refreshing renewal because I am bread. I've not come here to give you a lunch. I literally have come here to give you. And when you eat on me and when you drink of me, you will always be satisfied and fulfilled in the most difficult circumstances of life. I think it's important that we understand like this statement that appears in John 9 actually also appears, for those of you that are taking notes, it also appears in Matthew 16 and in Mark 8. Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Luke 9 all have this almost exactly verbatim account where Jesus makes this rather bold statement. If anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And they all have this, but it's interesting in terms of where it fits because Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't mind. John's a whole other kind of gospel, by the way, all telling true stories about Jesus, but he does it in a completely different way, I think because he wrote it last. After seeing how these other gospels who wrote them in very similar ways have recorded the events of Jesus, we actually have John writing kind of a filling in the gaps kind of a scenario. But when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't always feel compelled to do everything in the exact same order, but they do here. They line up perfectly. We all know that what we see at the beginning of this kind of this, these, these four stories that all line up, and they're all after the feeding of the 5,000. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. And when he does that, what we actually see is what we call the great confession. Peter says, on behalf, I think, of all of them, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it's, the truth is out there. The confession is out there. Others may have made it, but now it is out there. Immediately after that, though, Jesus warns that he's going to be rejected, that he's going to be shamed, and that he's going to be executed. And I want to call that the great prediction. He does it over and over and over again in the Synoptic Gospels. Whenever they talk about Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus says, yes, but let me explain to you why I came. 
Because the why is that we had a tremendous need. And therefore, there was a tremendous cost that needed to be paid. And Jesus said, I will pay it. That's why we sing, Jesus paid it all. Jesus said, I will pay that. And I don't want you to think that I've just come here to give you bread. I've actually come here to be bread. Jesus actually said, I've not just come here to make your life more manageable. I've not just come here to give you a ticket for the eternal. I've come here actually to pay a price. I've come here to do what you could not do. I've come here to make a way. And he wants them to be very, very clear, or very, for the information to be very, very clear in their heads. This is the great prediction. And then we get our text. Immediately following the great prediction, we have Jesus then demands complete self-denial of anyone who would come after him. I don't know if that seems heavy for you. I remember a time, and I've asked a lot of people this, I remember a time growing up where this text was preached a lot. And it just doesn't seem to be preached a lot anymore. A lot of the sermons that I was just trying to, trying to follow, seeing, um, were, were, were preached by older preachers in, uh, uh, in, I won't say another time, like it was a thousand years ago or anything like that, but there was just a lot of older messages on this, not a lot of younger yet messages preached on this. The demands of complete self-denial in light of the fact that I am going to make a way, in light of how broken you are, in light of who I am, and then after that is done, and I don't know if you noticed that last statement that Jesus made that Bethany read, um, and there will be some here that will, will not pass away. They will not die until they see the kingdom of God. And, and, and we wonder what that, what that is that could easily be pointing to the next story. For right after Jesus gives this expectation of complete self-denial, Jesus is then transfigured, and the disciples see him in all of his splendor. They see him for who he really is. It's almost like, in light of this truth, that I am in fact the son of God. And that means I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be shamed, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. In light of that, those who are going to follow me, if you're just connecting the dots, are going to be like me, not just in my life, not just in the good things of my life, but in the difficult things in my life. And in light of that, can I give you a preview of coming attractions? And can I, can I demonstrate to you, and he does this for the disciples who are, who are really, really wrestling with the truth about who he is, and not just that he is God, if that wasn't big enough, but that God would be rejected and killed. And that, that they would then too, if they really want to follow him. Like, I don't know if you've ever just thought of the transfiguration as just a gift. I want to give you a picture of me that will be able to sustain you in the midst of difficulties and trials and complete self-denial. And I really think that's kind of why Jesus provides not only kind of the explanation, the why, but why, why Jesus then provides a way. We've talked about the, the why of Jesus because we need him. And, and because God loves us, even when we don't know that we need him, God is always, to say he is always a step ahead of us is, a, is such a gross, uh, mis, 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 uh, I'm saying it short, Right? I'm not even getting to the, anywhere near to the depth of it. 
And that is why Jesus Christ, when he comes, he, he gives a way. And here is his way. What does he say? Jesus said to them, look at verse 23. And then he said to them, said to them all in Luke's gospel, said to them all, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's interesting that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke is the only one that adds the word daily. Matthew and Mark don't include it. I don't think they would disagree with them. I think Jesus said it. Maybe the others just assumed that everybody would know it. But no, Luke, make sure that we underline it. If anyone wants to come after me, which is kind of an interesting statement. I never really noticed this before, but what Jesus really says here in this statement is if anyone wants to come after me, they have to come after me. If anybody wants to follow me, they must follow me. Hmm, didn't you just say the same thing twice? No? I know a lot of people that want to follow Jesus. I, I, I met with a young man, he was from Taiwan, and he wanted to follow Jesus. And he actually said, kind of at the end of our conversation at Panera Bread, this was years ago, he actually said, you know, Jesus is going to be a great God to add to the gods I already have. No, I don't mean that. If you want to come after him and follow him, then you need to follow him. I know a lot of people that want to follow him. Man, I, I, I'm not really big into like formal religion. So I'm, to, I'm totally cool with following Jesus. I just, I'm not real cool with the church. I'm not real cool with anything that's going to infringe on my, my time or my, uh, my relational bandwidth. And so I'm willing to follow him, but do you get a sense it's just kind of on their terms? I know a lot of people that are really big about following. You mean like God, like in a generic sense? No, it's actually following Jesus. Oh, yeah, see, that's where, that's where I have a little bit of a problem. I have a little bit of a problem with you Christians, which I can understand. I can understand why people have a problem because the words of Jesus are not just compassionate. They are exclusive. And the words of Jesus are, are not just loving and caring, but they're also demanding and they warn of judgment. I get it. That God is easy to take in small doses and on my own agenda and, and, on, and at, at my own discretion. I would argue you don't have to come from another time or another place to look at who Jesus is and say, hmm, this guy could help me out. I'll be honest, I, I think the church, to try to think that we're just completely uh, immune to this, would be irresponsible. And I would even argue not even intellectually honest that we want to market Jesus. How can we make it more palatable? A young lady, conversation, we had all these conversations, this young lady coming to faith and a number of people working with her. And, and finally I thought, well, I'd love to sit down and, and talk with her. And I, I, one of the places I just happened to go to to try to think, yeah, Jim does this every time. I was almost embarrassed at how many times I don't bring this up. But I went to both the Matthew text and the Luke text where Jesus says, count the cost before you follow me. And this young lady who had attended our church for a number of, of, of weeks, if not months, said, I've never heard this before. What do you mean count the cost? And I just thought, who has been, oh, I've been preaching. Okay, no, 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 that one's mine. Right? We, we share the gospel with our children. We share the gospel with our friends. Hopefully, we share the gospel with our children and we share the gospel with our friends. And Jesus makes it very clear. He says it in all the gospels. 
And I think there are some people that are going, wow, like this is really what we're in? And okay, do you like mean this, mean this? Or is this kind of like, are you offering us like a gold level or a platinum plan to Christianity? No, Jesus actually says, look at what it says in the text. If anyone wants to follow after me, they must follow after me. What you and I read as redundancy is actually clarity. So you and I, as we are wrestling with the words of Jesus Christ, sometimes we wrestle because, wow, he's talking about things I don't understand, and he's using terms, and I feel like I'm just missing something, and it becomes difficult for us to understand. I think Matthew 24 fits in that category for me. Some statements that he makes I just think are just way out there, and I just can't really get my head around it. And then there are others I can't get my head and all of myself around because they're just so clear. And this is one of those clear ones. By the way, in Matthew and or sorry, in Mark and in Luke, this is actually the very first time that the word cross even appears in the text. They haven't even mentioned a cross yet. Which might explain why there's so many people that are following after Jesus, why there's so many people coming after Jesus, because nobody has any idea that a cross is coming, except for one. And he just wants anyone who wants to follow after him to recognize that we are here to follow after him and nothing else. Let's make this even more clear. This is not a matter of practicing self-denial or self-discipline. Jesus is not asking you to give some things up. It is completely renouncing any claim to yourself, your desires, your ambitions, your life goals, All of these submit to Jesus and to his mission. It is a rejection of personal autonomy and self-sufficiency. Is anyone here ready to follow Jesus for the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of your God-given life? See, I think that's where we get confused. I think that I'm always ready to give up some things as long as I get to choose those things. I'm always ready to follow Jesus as long as I still got to have some kind of control or some kind of autonomy over what those things are and when I give them up. I mean, I detected in my own language and in our language when people are really struggling with a difficulty and have you ever said something like this? Oh, I can't wait till I can convince God. We usually don't use that language, but I can't wait until um, I can show God that I've learned my lesson so that I can, I can get out from underneath this. I just can't wait to learn my lesson so that I can kind of just get out from underneath this. But what if what Jesus is putting us under is actually designed to make us more like him? Recently in our podcast, we, we've been working on, last week I met with a couple of college students, or sorry, college ministers, and uh, we were talking about just this, this concept of, um, of, of uh, people that are losing their faith, people that are deconstructing their faith, people that are deconverting from Christianity. And I, I stumbled across this very interesting story of a, a rather famous Christian leader in, in America who had given up on Jesus and following Jesus. And I thought it was interesting, as he was doing an article, I think it was for the New York Post, um, he was just kind of sharing the story, and the story about him and his wife when he was coming to this realization that he didn't want to follow Jesus anymore, that it was too demanding, that it was too hard. And his wife's name is Marty. You know, Marty said, speaking to her husband, Christian leader, 
I think you ought to stop being a professional Christian since you don't believe in God, you don't believe in heaven, you don't believe in Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead after three days, and neither do I. He knew that she was right and that he began telling his friends that now he was a post-Christian. They treated him like an obviously gay man coming out of the closet. People were like, yeah, we've known this for a long time. I wonder why it took you so long to figure it out. And I wonder if it's because there's just many of us that have so turned the way that we live, the maybe non-Christian way that we live, with still some kind of Christian baggage, you know, kind of like the lights on the house after Christmas, and it's July, uh, maybe because it was COVID, maybe because I'm lazy, when Andrea left in January, the Christmas tree stayed up for a while, you know what I mean? I think I took it down in February. And I say this which is with as much love and kindness as I can, I'm just deeply concerned that every Sunday there are a lot of people in this room And I don't know if you're following Jesus. And so these words just speak, they speak life for those of us who need him, who really need him. These words are life. And if they're not life, if you consider them to be um, options, suggestions, they're not that. They're not that. So why does Jesus demand so much? Why does Jesus demand so much? I think it's this simple. Because he is truly worth everything. He's worth it. Anyone else that would make claims like this, they couldn't provide. And that is my testimony. My testimony is not just that Jesus Christ has demanded my life, but he is more than worth me giving my life to him. And that is the invitation that comes to us. But the Apostle Paul even wants us to realize that that we need to be aware of all of these demands and we need to be aware that we are swimming against. And this is, I think, the big thing that we forget is that Jesus is not trying to give us a harder is holier speech. Jesus is not just trying to come along and give us, you know, like like to follow Jesus in texts like this in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Luke 9. This is like boot camp for Christians. And we're just getting prepared for war, just in case the war ever comes. But chances are we're not ever going to face anything. Like, I think that's how Christians read these texts. And that's not the design of these texts. These texts are for anyone. Because more than you and I ever really fully appreciate, we live in a culture that is going against the way of Jesus. And for those of us that go, yeah, things really are changing, I would argue they have always been that way. Since Genesis chapter 3, when we rebelled against God, the world has always been against him. This isn't something that began in the 60s. This is a universal problem. This is a time problem that began near the beginning. And Jesus just knows that to be aware of God and responsive to God means that there are going to be troubles around us. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, Drew, it seems like we've been here almost every week and there's no way around it. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. I need him. I know him. And that is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, 
It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer these things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and to be raised on the third day. Because he had come to do the will of God in a time and in a culture that did not want him. John writes, and he came to his own, and his own knew him not. Uh, They knew him. They just didn't want him. And that is why Jesus says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and of the holy angels. Christian, seeker, for those of you who are just loved by God but still lost, I pray that you hear the good news today that comes in Jesus. And I I pray that for those of us who know Jesus are strengthened by these words, that we're not the first ones to go through difficult times or difficult circumstances. We're not the first ones to face shame. We're not the first ones to have to sacrifice, but we stand in a long line of witnesses who have and continue to do so around the world. One writer puts it this way, As our culture changes, secularizes, and grows less tolerant towards Christian orthodoxy, I would argue he is speaking from a particularly American perspective, because there are many from around the world that would go, what if this is new? But it's our context. Growing in a less tolerant Christian orthodoxy, I'm noticing a pattern of many people who fall away. They're retreating not from faith because they're ignorant of its key tenets or lack of necessary intellectual or theological depth, but rather because the adversity of adherence to increasingly countercultural doctrines are just growing too great. I just can't hold on to these ideas about God when everyone else makes me feel bad about it or makes me feel strange about it or makes me feel wrong about it or makes me feel evil about it or makes me feel... And I think that's true. Put another way, the failure of the church isn't so much of catechesis, which means training and teaching. We just recently just produced a book that all of us can go through to learn the, the, the important tenets of the faith, the important doctrines of the faith. But this, this, this person writes, it's not just the failure of the church about catechesis, but a fortification of building the pure moral courage and resolve to live your faith in the face of cultural headwinds. Because the vast majority of people that I run into now are not giving up on Jesus because of some biblical concept, but the fact that the Bible itself speaks this kind of truth and in this way that is becoming increasingly divisive and it is making them feel shame and potential rejection. I'm just embarrassed that God said this about sexual uh, ethics. I'm really embarrassed that God said this or speaks this way. I'm really embarrassed that Jesus said this or acted this way. Well, let me close with this. When Jesus first made the statement that the Son of Man is going to suffer and die, one of the 12 actually said, "Uh uh-uh, no way, So you weren't the first one to try to modify Jesus' statements or behavior. It was Peter. Peter said, no, 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 no. This doesn't make sense to me, and therefore it can't be true. Which isn't, by the way, the definition of truth. Truth is something God reveals to us. 
And so you've heard about the great confession. I want to just read to you what I'm now going to be referring to in my own mind, at least, from 1 Peter 4, what Beth read, and I'm going to call it the great transformation. For the one who said, and probably in part protecting himself, shame and rejection, I can't do that. He writes this to a church that is going through, um, I would argue probably more than what we're going through, but I think part of what we need to do today is to prepare for increased difficulty. I, I don't know when or if or how they will come. I just think it's always good to prepare. Here are some words from God. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ that you may also rejoice with great joy in his glory when his glory is revealed. For if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God for having the name. I understand the temptations that are around us. I feel the weight. But may we remember that Jesus said, on there will be a day. And those who are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. But those of us who are not ashamed, but instead face shame for the name, May we know, because we know him, that we are his and we are blessed. Let's pray. God, thank you for the words of hope that come to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you for the love that he has demonstrated for us and for the hope that we have in him and in him alone. Amen. And so now you and I have the pleasure and the privilege of taking the body and the blood that was given for us and we partake of it. And let's do so this morning mindful of the fact that Jesus says, unless someone comes after me and not just gives up some things, but gives up their very life. This is the life that we receive. His life. Therefore, let us take the body of Christ and eat. And let us take the, the blood of Christ and let us drink.